Hello and welcome to another episode of Planning Ahead, the podcast series brought to you by Warwick Plan. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. If that is the case, this is a series designed to share the experiences of LGBTQ plus professionals and allies to help give you an insight of their lives as queer people, their professional experiences and more. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Maya Gupta, an incredible young queer entrepreneur who, since graduating the University of Nottingham in 2015, has been part of multiple business ventures, including his current project, Career Accelerator, a fantastic business designed to train and provide opportunities for young people and help them adapt to the professional world. This includes an LGBTQ plus mentorship scheme designed to empower young LGBTQ plus people with a vast network of queer mentors and corporate partners. In this episode, we'll be discussing some of Maya's personal experiences, as well as his upbringing and time at university, as well as obviously Career Accelerator and his other projects. So without further ado. Hi, Maya. Thank you for joining us. It's a privilege to have you on today. Um, I thought we'd start by talking perhaps about your university life. So you're at the University of Nottingham doing business, um, but you also threw yourself into multiple of the extracurricular roles and activities. And so I just wanted to ask to start us off, why do you think those opportunities are so important to students? I joined for a few reasons. Firstly, to make friends. University is obviously super for that. However, you're not guaranteed to make best friends with people on your course or in your halls. For me, joining things like the Student Union, the Asian Society, um, Anaptis, the Social Enterprise Society were brilliant because first I got to meet like-minded people. I'm still in touch with loads of my friends from Nottingham. I think 99% of them are society friends. The first reason I got involved and why I recommend people getting involved is to make like-minded, switched-on friends who you have stuff in common with because from my experience, they're the ones you stay in touch with. Secondly, great to build some skills and experience and confidence. Those things are quite different. When it comes to confidence, I think the big thing I took away from my time at Nottingham University is that if you work hard and if you're motivated and if you have a positive way of thinking, you can achieve a lot. Everything I've done since Nottingham University, and that includes starting up my own business, getting involved with Balloon Ventures, all of the side hustles I've been involved with, it's mainly because of the confidence I got at Nottingham and that wasn't through my business course, but that was through setting up a business via Actus. that was being the business school president through the student union. The second thing I'd say, therefore, is by getting involved in a few things as a student, it can really build your confidence. A lot of my friends who went into corporate jobs and I love them, they're always like, oh, it was really fun what we did at university and then we got proper jobs. And I was like, I never really grew up. I still feel I can change the world. I still feel like I can make the world a better place with some great people in my team. And thirdly, the point was around skills, knowledge and experience. University is great. However, when you're young, fiery, energised, you can use some of that time and energy to do something and make an impact. So when you do apply for graduate jobs or when you do apply for future schemes, I can and others can always showcase what they did. So, for example, I said, yes, I went to a good university. Yes, I studied a prestigious degree. However, what I'm most proud of is creating a buddy scheme in the business school or setting up a social enterprise in Nepal through an actors. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, I just wanted to touch on one of those points we were talking about of you gaining lots of confidence through those experiences. Um, but I know that a lot of people find it a kind of an ironic spiral where obviously in order to get that confidence, you need to have um, that confidence to you know throw yourself into those opportunities in the first place. So what kind of advice would you give to people that, you know, are kind of lacking 
that confidence and perhaps apprehensive around you know doing something they've never done before which you know university has plenty of those types of experiences I come from a pretty specific situation because I had a pretty terrible time at school. I don't think I had any mates at school. So I started from pretty much rock bottom. So when I got to university, I was like, this is great. This is a chance to reinvent myself. So I threw myself into loads of different clubs as opposed to school. University is less cliquey. You can start again. You can start slightly reinvent yourself. So I come from a bit of a specific situation, but I had a pretty dire time at school and my teenage years. So for me, university was a chance for me to reinvent myself, get involved in lots of different clubs and societies. And I was quite desperate to make friends, improve myself, build my confidence. That's my specific situation. The second point I'd say is if I think back to where I was in first year, second year and third year, first year, I ran for business school president. I was the least voted for candidate, which like destroyed my self-esteem, but I built upon that. Secondly, I joined debating club because you meant to join debating club to develop really good skills. I think I did like one competition where I completely choked on stage. Um, then, uh, yeah, I joined Enactus. I failed the first time around. I eventually got onto the program. I joined a project helping homeless people in the local vicinity, but that project failed. However, what I took away from that is, well, I've done all of that. It can't get any worse. So my second year, I didn't go for business school president. I went for a course rep role, which I got. I then started my own Enactus project because the previous one failed. And then in my third year, I went from being course rep to business school president. I grew the business I founded in Enactus to become an international organization. So the first thing I'd say is everyone's in a similar boat, especially when they join university. Very few people join with their friends. Everyone's looking to make friends. And if they are cliquey, that's a bit of a part of my language, a bit of a twat move because people go to university to meet a variety of people. Secondly, you don't need to win instantly or achieve. I would say I was pretty successful my final year of university, but it took me one or two years of trying, failing in order to get there. And in a weird way, I'm glad I choked on stage during the debating competition. I'm glad it's become business school president straight away because it helped me develop patience, humility, and encourage me to keep developing. And then the other thing I'd say is there's a lot of pressure that your university years are meant to be the best years of your life. Everyone's got it sorted. I'm a bit older than people listening to this um, podcast. So I can tell you, my friends and I, we were doing well at university. However, five years down the line, we're always like, we were wrapped with anxiety. We always thought the other person was doing better than us. We all felt we were falling behind. And it's important to realize that everyone's in a pretty similar boat. Everyone's trying their best. I guarantee you that the majority of people going to Freshers Fair or starting a society for the first time, they will feel nervous. They'll feel like they're not sporty enough, not good looking enough, not confident enough. They didn't go to the right schools. But I have a pretty eclectic group of friends. We all felt like that. And I'm not trying to say humanities <laughs> um, or idiosyncratic or irrational. I'm saying that people are trying their best. However, very rarely are people thinking of the other person. And one quote I'll leave you on is in your 20s, you care about what people think of you. In your 40s, you stop caring about what people think about you. In your 60s, you realize no one was thinking about you anyway. And that kind of got me through university quite a lot. Yeah. So what are those kind of sources of, you know, inspiration and motivation, more importantly, that, you know, carried those through, um, through those obstacles and those challenges that you faced? Um, and kind of, you know, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, you know, have something not go your way or, you know, something 
you know, completely crumble underneath you. But then to be able to pick yourself back up and still say, this is what I want. This is what I want to go for. Um, so what was it really that kind of inspired you then, but also perhaps inspires you now still um, to kind of keep that motivation and that drive? I think it's a combination of rational things and irrational things, because obviously if you lose an election that you put your heart and soul into, that can be really demoralizing. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend anyone pick themselves up and do it again the next day. But actually it's fine to feel a bit sad, disappointed, emotional. However, just by doing that experience, you develop those skills and experience. And then the next year when it comes around, you might be like, you know what, well, I was halfway there. Let me do it again. So the first thing I'd say is that, yeah, it's good to be resilient. It's good to be courageous. It's good to have tenacity and energy and faith. However, it's also good to be kind to yourself and realize that on this instance, I tried my best, it didn't work out. It might've been because of a few factors. It might've been due to lack of experience, lack of confidence, lack of skills, or just pot luck. And like, be kind to yourself, make sure you're not jumping to something else straight away. By doing something and by trying and failing, you will have got that experience, which you can always carry with you and again, I think failing a few times made me more of a kind leader, made me more inclusive. I'll always give time for someone who's trying something because I know what it's like to try something and fail. The second thing I'd say is always have a true north, always know where you're heading, because then if you don't get a successful business at university, you do know that's fine. This is just one path and one option I can do. For example, during my time at university, I did two main things, the student union, what about the student voice? That was more to do with politics and anaptis, which is social enterprise and business. My kind of vision statement is that I want to improve the student experience. I want to improve my environment. So by that, I mean, I don't put all my eggs in one basket. I didn't decide to go for the SU officer role because I thought one way I can support my environment is through business and social enterprise. So back to your question, I would say having a true north. If I know that by the end of my university career, I want to help people and I want to build a foundation, I can step back and be like, there's a variety of ways of getting there. Very few things only come about once at university, unless you're a, you know, Olympian athlete, in which case <laughs> your 18 to 25 years are probably going to be quite special. But mostly people get really good at stuff in their 30s onwards. Yeah. So similarly, what would you say to someone who perhaps, you know, has found themselves in their first or second year? I mean, obviously we're now you know, returning to normality and, you know, people that have had a university experience prior to this year will have not, you know, been able to experience the same depth of things and, you know, finding themselves in a situation where either they're throwing themselves into everything and it's overwhelming or they're not picking the right things. In terms of that kind of like rational thinking and being able to take a step back, how would you kind of say, you know, it, it's similar to that true north idea that you were just um, talking about there, but how would you say that, you know, you encourage this rational thinking in order to sort of, you know, make the right decisions, but also when you don't make the ones that in retrospect were the right ones, you can reflect on that and build on that. I think the best way to learn is by trying stuff out and then realizing what works well. I'm not for a second gonna say, you should only focus on two or three societies because that's what the research shows because when I was at university, I think I had like six different things going on. Eventually I got to final year and I was getting a bit burnt out. And it was because of that negative experience. I realized that, okay, I need to focus and calm down. It's funny because if you ask a lot of people who graduated from university, their main regret is, I wish I threw myself in more things. 
this is the time to do it. This is the time of your life where you start doing that. So the first thing I'd say is not everything has to be perfect. You don't necessarily want a perfect work-life balance, a nine-to-five balance, because loads of people envy university students because they're like they have so much freedom, so many opportunities. Even if you finish university and you move to a big city like London and Manchester, things are a lot further apart than like a beautiful campus university like the University of Warwick or the University of Nottingham. The first thing I'd say, therefore, is try stuff out, see what works for you. Everyone's very different. I've definitely got mates who only want to go out two or three times a week to a party, a club, a business-related event. I've got friends who like to go out every single evening, and that works for them. Therefore, everyone's different. Try stuff out. It is important to be kind to yourself and not feel like you have to do everything straight away because your mental well-being and your efficiency is the most important thing. However, I'm not going to say that the perfect ratio is go out two or three times a week, be involved in two or three clubs, because it's different for everyone. And I'm sure if you talk to any outstanding leader in their 40s or 50s, they will have struggled to take taking on too much, not looking after themselves. They would have burnt out. And now they've got a harmonious work-life balance in their 40s or 50s. That's and I think loads of people envy the university student experience because you can do loads of things. One day you can do Zoopla, the other day you can do LGBT activism, another day you can do a revision club. It's sometimes quite cool to throw yourself into things, learn a lot. Yes, obviously there are, you know, so many opportunities for any university student, but also, you know, you were someone who made a lot of these opportunities for yourself through these enterprise um, schemes and stuff like that. So kind of how did you sort of come across that? Was that something that you had experienced and encountered in school or was that something that you kind of just showed an interest in in university for kind of those who potentially are interested but haven't experienced it yet what would you say were the main things that kind of got you involved into that i found out about a lot of opportunities like anactus asec asian society etc through freshers fair through friends of friends and luckily because i studied business i was in the business school nottingham had a really good business school and they always promoted cool opportunities to get involved with. For me, everything I learned about in terms of opportunities was by going to things like Freshers' Fair, by finding out from friends, doing a bit of research. I think I was quite keen. So the summer holidays before university, I did look at the society lists on the SU website and kind of wrote down what I'm interested in. But I was also quite flexible as well and kept an eye out for anything which interested me. The other thing is you have three years of university or four years for some people. You can try out things, realise it doesn't work for you, and then try something else out. That's what I did. So on paper, debating club looks amazing, but it just wasn't for me. Um, I was much more into kind of social enterprise, acting, student politics. And um, that's what I would say. There are some things which look good in theory, but it doesn't work for you. And there are some things you might not have heard about, which defines your university experience. And that's definitely what I found I got more out of Anactis, or it used to be called Scythe, compared to Debating Club or even my course. Yeah, so now for yourself, obviously, the, the roles are kind of reversed, where you've sort of taken up a sort of mentor role in a lot of the, the work that you do. So what was it that kind of made you move towards that? Was that out of a feeling that you wish that that was something you had access to, or is it just something that, you know, you kind of stumbled across? For me, it's a bit of a no-brainer. I'm lucky that I like my work, I'm passionate about my work, and it's cool meeting other young people who are looking to do similar things or they can benefit from some advice. I think I've always been quite a nice, friendly person. The first thing I'd say, therefore, is 
it's a no-brainer. If I have some knowledge and skills based on stuff I've done in the last years, I'd be more than happy to pass it over. It means that I make more friends. I have more champions and supporters, but this is even a rational decision. Obviously, if people are asking for my time all the time, I'll be like, folks, I need to build a business. I need to make money. However, firstly, it's just a nice thing to do. I like helping my environment. And talking about True North, one of my big pillars or mission statements is help my environment. That doesn't mean I just focus on my business career accelerator and I ignore everyone else because that's kind of inconsistent. Sometimes I help my environment through the mentoring programs my business runs. Other times I help my environment by taking on a few mentees myself and supporting them to you know, run their own initiatives. Secondly, if you look into the research into mentoring, coaching and sponsorship, it's also a massive benefit for the mentor, the coach and the sponsor. What I'm seeing now is loads of the mentees we have in our career accelerator programs, they're now getting into top jobs like Clifford Chance, EY, NHS Digital, et cetera. And they're actually getting career accelerated into those companies, which is lovely. So alongside helping a young person, they've helped me out and they've helped my business out. Loads of our new corporate clients have come about through friendships and mentees who've now worked for that company and they're championing us at their company. And thirdly, I feel when you are a mentor, it makes you grateful for what you have achieved. There is a temptation that you have to be successful. You can only be successful in your 40s or 50s. That's when you have X amount of million. That's when you have X amount of properties. That's when you've made it. And when you're in your 20s or 30s, you're just like working really hard. You don't appreciate what you have. So I fall into that. And so do my friends fall into that category where we're all doing pretty well. We're all happy. We're all smashing the goals we had five years ago, but we're always looking five years ahead. So it's quite nice talking to a highly impressionable switched on young person who's like, I want to start a business or I want to get into this graduate scheme and sharing some insight because I'm like, hey, that was me five years ago. I've actually not done too bad. So it's a mixture of things. Firstly, it's a nice thing to do. It fits into my values and ethos. Secondly, there's a definitely a business benefit. And thirdly, it also makes me feel good and grateful and helps me realize how far I've come. Yeah, so this episode will be going out in the middle of the summer holidays, um, a prime time for a lot of students, whether that be school age, university age, or perhaps they're graduates and not sure what to do. Um, so there's plenty of opportunities out there. Um, so as someone who has a lot of experience with that, what kind of advice, recommendations could you give just to summarise kind of sort of rationalizing and breaking down the process of looking through and finding the right opportunities for you because obviously it could be very overwhelming when you're faced with the depth of things that are out there definitely and i'm sure there'll be loads of jealous and resentful adults being like enjoy these holidays whilst you can because when you're an adult you'll have no seven week holidays it's a really good question i'm trying to think back to what i did in my summer holidays the summer holiday before university I think I went on a holiday with my family and I was really keen on reinventing myself and trying to prepare for university as best I could, um, which is, you know, endearing. And I kind of admire, I did that. I think the most useful thing I did was just research a bit into my university, talk to people who I knew were going to that university that I knew of or people who studied that university and looked at the society list. And I think there's definitely something about prepping yourself up mentally. That said, when you get to university, from my experience, it's a lot more, chilled everyone's in a similar boat the first holiday i had after first year i went to thailand for four weeks which was lovely i was always a massive workaholic i always took things very seriously i didn't travel independently much so traveling for me was great for the first time in my life i had no work to do for four weeks 
Um, and this is coming from someone who's always defined himself by work. So taking a holiday, whether it's a solo holiday, whether it's a guided holiday, whether it's a holiday with friends, it's good. And some people go on a holiday and they realize they don't actually like it. Some people love it and they get a travel bug. Then during my second year summer holiday, I actually stayed in London for most of it. And the main reason was because I was trying to pass my driving test. So I was like, oh, I need to get my life in order. I need to tick all these boxes. I think I went for holiday for one week, but most of it was in London doing career work, career like applications, et cetera. I was kind of heartbroken. I didn't secure an internship in the summer holidays in my second year. So I thought I was a big failure. Um, I think I did like one or two weeks work experience, but it was like at a local branch. Um, if I could go back in time, I would say any experience is good experience. I would have actually gone out with friends more. I would have got involved in like a local acting club because actually, yes, it's good to have a prestigious summer internship. I encourage that. But when you're young and fiery, it's a super cool time to just have eight, nine weeks to yourself. So if I could go back in time as counterintuitive as it might sound, I would have enjoyed myself more. I'd be like, forget the driving test. I don't want to drive. I don't need to drive. I'm in London. I might as well go on a travel trip, read a few books, get a new hobby or side hustle, because I wouldn't say life gets worse when you graduate from university, quite the contrary. I am happier now than I was at university and I was happy at university. However, it is super cool to have seven, eight weeks of headspace to do hobbies, build up some skills. Yeah, you can look at a few like applications, but ultimately you're going to be working for the rest of your life in many cases when you are 21, 22 onwards. So it's actually a privileged situation having a lot of free time. I mean, I'm a lot more authentic than I, uh, than I was at university, but if I had eight weeks, I would definitely have like an amazing summer reading list and just read loads of books. That would be hedonism for me. Um, and then after university, I was in a pretty bad state because I wasn't able to score a graduate job and I didn't get the grades I wanted. So I was a bit like, oh, I got into this prestigious university studying a prestigious course and I've like stacked it. I didn't get my perfect grade and I don't have a grad scheme. I've like failed. And because I moved back to where I was living at home and in London, I was a bit like, oh, the last three years might not have mattered because I never got a job after university. I did a bit of traveling, but I did six months of job applications. I applied for jobs every day for seven days. And um, I kind of defined myself according to my work and my job and loads of my friends had jobs. Well, I'd say 50-50 had jobs, 50% were applying like I was. However, if I could go back in time, I would have relaxed a lot more. I mean, I'm in a job I love right now, but sometimes I wish I had those like few weeks of holiday. So I would say, enjoy yourself try out different experiences, especially Gen Z and millennials. We change jobs all the time. I'm not going to be doing career accelerator probably in the next 10 years. I'll probably do it for another few years and I love it. However, I'm super excited about exploring other options. You're not going to find your dream job straight away in many cases. So I would say traveling, seeing friends, side hustles, relaxing, those are all really good things. And not to feel down if you don't have an internship or grad job or a spring week nowadays, because actually, Loads of people find their dream careers in a variety of ways. And it's important to be kind to yourself. I mean, if I could go back in time to when I was a uni student, I'm proud of the stuff I've done extracurricular wise. I'm proud of the side hustles I've done. I'm proud of the friends I made. I would have just enjoyed the journey a bit more. I was always like so focused on goals and there's always going to be more to achieve. There's always going to be new goals to chase after in your thirties, forties, fifties. I would have just kind of enjoyed the moment. Easier said than done though.
Yeah, that's great. Um, so I want to move on now to one of our other main themes of today, which is this idea of entrepreneurship, which you um, are now kind of sort of a very much advocate for. It's something that you've kind of thrown yourself into, um, but also something that I think that a lot of people don't really have um, a full understanding of. I mean, obviously, you get a lot of melodramatic presentations of wannabe entrepreneurs on The Apprentice or on Dragon's Den or whatnot. So I just wondered whether you could perhaps sort of summarize what the life of an entrepreneur is, someone who, you know, wants to start several ventures. Like you talk about, you know, thinking about life after career accelerator, like that general life of, you know, setting things up and throwing everything into it and then doing that again. And that sort of entrepreneurial cycle, I just wondered whether you could elaborate a bit more on on that and, and why it suits you so well. Sure thing. The good news is in today's world, it's not that you're either an entrepreneur or you're not. You've got an entrepreneur who starts up a venture. You've got an entrepreneur who's innovative within their own company. Loads of my mates work at the top consultancy firms like BCG Bay and McKinsey, and they run mentoring programs. They run side hustles. They've spearheaded a new program or initiative. So you've got an entrepreneur like me who sets something up from scratch. You've got an entrepreneur, and you've also got people who work in a startup environment who then do a placement or secondment in a big corporate and people who work in a big corporate like Barclays who'll do a secondment in a startup environment. You've also got people who are early stage employees or founding teams and these are people who join as one of the top or first 10 employees. So the first thing I'd say is that you don't need to commit I am an entrepreneur, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. If you do think that I would be a bit concerned because Loads of people want to start up a business because it sounds cool or because they want to call themselves a founder on LinkedIn or like a dating app. And like on a serious note, a lot of people are motivated by that kind of status. I'm kind of the opposite. The first thing I'd say is if people want to start a business, they should first consider what are they passionate about and will setting up a business in this area help make progress in the area? Because a lot of people say they're against education disadvantage. And I'm like, that's great. Most of us are. How are you going to address that? Do you want to become a teacher? Do you want to work with the Department of Education? Do you want to be a corporate person and bridge the gap between a school? Do you want to set up your own business? The reason I started Career Accelerator is because we were very focused on working class young people in state schools in London who also come from underrepresented backgrounds in tech. So we married social mobility, diversity and inclusion, tech and the modern economy. And I felt a lot of organizations weren't doing that. However, if there was an organization like Career Accelerator already in place, I might not have started an organization just for the sake of it. I would have probably tried to join that organization. The second thing to say is that people are living a lot longer and some people want to start businesses in their 20s. And there's definitely, in my opinion, a kind of like sexiness and appeal to being a young entrepreneur. But speaking for us, a young entrepreneur, you have less resources, less money, less network. Yeah, it's inspiring if it works well. However, most businesses fail within five years. The most successful entrepreneurs are actually in their 40s. So for people who want to be entrepreneurs, they don't need to make a decision like applying for a grad scheme at like an Accenture and there's a cutoff point. But actually, you might be like, I want to be an entrepreneur sometime during my life. And the chances are you will be. There's a good book called Reinventing Lives about women in their 60s reinventing their lives in their 60s. Um, and it just shows that if you are entrepreneurial and creative, you can do something in your 40s, 50s, 60s. And the more successful ventures happen to be founded by people in their 40s. Um, there's always opportunities to innovate, whether you are in a big corporate or whether you are a startup or you are a founding team member. 
So I would say you shouldn't feel like you need to be an entrepreneur for the sake of it. I would always invite people to think what are their values, what matters to them, how do they work, and what would lend, what kind of job would lend their, those skills and those experiences. For example, if you're a person who loves company and you love working in a team, I would definitely say join a fast-growing startup. Don't be an entrepreneur because being an entrepreneur is super lonely. I've been doing CA for four years. I've got one employee. In the next few months, I'll have two employees. In another year's time, I'll have three employees. I'm okay with doing work independently, sitting down, focusing. I've got a very active social life, which is lovely, but there's no shame in not being an entrepreneur. And in fact, everyone thinks the grass is always greener. Sometimes I go to my clients after work drinks and I'm like, oh, it must be so amazing working in the corporate and having after work drinks and having a team and having uh, like a team photo. I don't know any of that career accelerator, but loads of my corporate mates are like, oh, it's super cool to do something you're passionate about where you're your own boss. So I guess the conclusion is there's no black and white. There's a lot of opportunities, which is cool. Yeah. And I, I feel like this sort of generation of business is kind of defined by that growing popularity of, you know, having multiple ventures and this idea of side hustling and the grind and stuff like that. And I think, you know, while it's really exciting to see that kind of like fast paced sort of development of the business world, I think one thing that does often get left behind is that idea of a proper work-life balance. I know we touched on it a bit earlier. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's fine to not find one for, you know, a, a much of your life, but for those people who kind of are already feeling, you know, those ideas of um, burnout and it's impacting their mental health, what would you say to kind of like reassure them and to make sure that people are actually looking after themselves and not kind of just accepting that these kind of things just happen at, at this age? Definitely. And that's a topic I'm really passionate about. My cousin gave me some really good advice, which I've always um, stuck by. And she says, you're not going to be good at anything in your 20s. So just kind of try and get some experience and skills, but enjoy the journey. And I think a few years ago when I was a university student, I was obsessed with being a president role in loads of societies. I was obsessed with doing really well. And I felt like you had to smash university. You had to smash the years after university. And then I realized, and especially in a big city like London, I would get like heartbroken if I miss a gala dinner or if I'm not on an award list. But then my mentors were a bit older than me. They're always like, the award list will happen the next year and the year after. And there's like a big award culture. In London, there's always a gala dinner every single week. There's always an award ceremony. So the first thing is taking a step back and being like, is this really your only chance? Because chances are you'll become a lot more valuable in society in terms of what you can bring and achieve when you're older. I still kind of call myself a bit of a baby or toddler in terms of my skills. It's cool I get a bit of exposure and um, publicity, but actually I think I'm going to be a lot more successful in my 30s um, and not in the kind of annoying, I've just got started way, which I personally don't like that attitude. But in terms of I'm building my network, I'm building my skills, I keep learning. The main difference is that I'm quite young compared to where I'll be in 10 years time when I'm 38. So the first thing to say is that it's a long journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. My mentors were in their 30s, 40s, 50s. They tell it to me all the time. And I'm starting to understand that you're right. You know, what happens if I went to university and instead of doing six presidential positions, I did two or three, would I have been less successful? Probably not. I might have become more successful at a slower pace, but does it really matter? I would have had more free time. I'd have more of a social life. I might have had a partner, which never happened during the three years because I was always working. 
the second thing I'd say is some people are burning out and uh, luckily I haven't burnt out, but from what I understand, it's pretty horrible. You know, you can't work. It's not sustainable. Let's say you're a high performer and then suddenly you stack it, not by your own fault. Then people will be like, oh, that person's a bit unreliable or we can't trust that person. Not that you should be caring about that, but if you are obsessed with productivity and achievement, you don't want to be achieving, achieving, achieving and then stack it and then take a few years to recover. I've got a few friends like that. They did amazingly. They're in their mid twenties. They've had to quit their jobs and they've taken a year to recover. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're obsessed with productivity and achievement, you don't want to take a year out to recover. Um, thirdly, I think it's about understanding what does good look like for you. And I would say there's six aspects of life. I'm probably going to forget them. You've got finances, job, business, relationships, personal life, spiritual life, and maybe key relationships about mentioned already. Everyone's different for me. I don't necessarily need to have like a big group of LGBT friends. I've got a core group of 15 friends who I love. I don't necessarily want to make more than hundred K I'm happy with the salary between 40 to 60 K per year. That's good for me. Um, I'm not very motivated by having a romantic relationship and that's fine for me. Other people will be different. So the reason I gave that random example is because when you talk about burning out, you can't be excellent at everything. If you are going to set up a business in your twenties, you're probably not going to have loads of time to have a social life. If you are going to work a corporate job and make loads and loads of money, again, you're probably, and depending on the fields, you might not feel super satisfied or super happy all the time. And that's fine. There's no right or wrong answer. But yeah, I guess in conclusion, the first thing is it's a long journey. So there's no point working super hard and feeling unhappy. Secondly, it's important to be kind to yourself. I mean, if my friend said to me that they're working really hard, they're struggling with their mental health and they're unhappy, I'll be like, mate, you need to sort it out. I'm saying this out of love. And then I can take that own advice from my own life. Thirdly, if you look at it rationally, you become good at stuff in your 30s, 40s onwards. So you might as well just try your best. And people in their 30s and 40s are happier than people in their 20s. Because when you're in your 20s, you're not necessarily good at anything unless you're, again, you're a sports athlete and you've been training since you've been five. So it makes sense that the older you get, the more happier you get, because the more established you get, the easier it gets. Um, yeah, and then fifthly, I guess just... I don't know if that's the fifth point. It's about getting to know you and your values. Everyone's different and there's no point trying to be everything for everyone. And I've learned that. I would say I've got less friends now than I did a few years ago, but the friends I do have, we really like each other. I enjoy their company as opposed to having like a hundred queer friends in a barbecue, which just wouldn't be for me. But I'll give an example because it does affect a lot of people. A lot of people feel like they have to work in the corporate or start a business or have amazing friends, but they want to do everything. And that doesn't always add up. Yeah, so in terms of that sort of general pressure to achieve that um, is kind of present in a lot of those scenarios you've given there, what would you say are the ways that perhaps you or people you know have used to kind of tackle those inner demons and those kind of like thoughts in your head that kind of, you know, that that doubt that just won't stop um, sort of trying to undermine you and kind of how do you overcome that in times where perhaps it does have more strength over you? I love reading. So I read a lot about self-help books and what I like about books. So let's take an author like Brené Brown or a few queer writers is that it validates the experience because it takes a lot of bravery to admit this is how I'm feeling. This is how others feel. The most scary part is when you feel it's only you or 
you feel like you're the most effed up person in the world or something wrong with you or you need to take more potent antidepressants and sometimes the worst part of that feeling is the shame shame being the fear of being disconnected from others um so i read a lot and i read about other people's experiences and when someone's writing about i feel like i'm falling behind in life i feel like i'm not doing well i feel i'm not attractive enough i'm like oh my god someone else thinks that it's not just me so the first thing i do is i read about other people's experiences everyone's different you can also listen to an audiobook secondly i'm pretty vulnerable so whenever i'm giving a talk at a dinner party or at an event i deliberately make sure to give my journey warts and all and i talk about not having a good time at school i talk about burning out well not burning out like working very hard at university to get validation i talk about the ups and downs and sometimes feeling like i'm not good enough i don't say that to feel sorry for myself i say that because every single time i'm vulnerable it creates more vulnerability in others and they feel confident to share so whenever someone says oh i feel like i'm failing in life or falling behind in life <laughs> everyone in most cases is like oh i'm so glad you said that because that's how i feel <laughs> that's how society makes a lot of people feel a lot of people recommend counseling i've tried counseling it hasn't really necessarily had an impact for me i prefer life coaching but i guess what's consistent between those two approaches is talking to an experienced person whether they are a counselor or a psychotherapist or a life coach or a mentor and just talk about your own professional development it's funny at school and university you study a lot about maths english politics history business but you don't learn about mental health looking after yourself relationships happiness etc so sometimes you have to invest in that in other ways by talking to a life coach a counselor etc so yeah, i would say firstly i read about people with similar experiences or quite vulnerable secondly i make sure to be quite open and vulnerable myself and usually people respond positively as a result and thirdly sometimes it helps working with a counselor a life coach etc depending on your kind of priorities and what lands well with you unfortunately on the last point it takes a while to find a suitable life coach or counselor so sometimes you have to try someone out for three months be like now nah, this isn't working find someone else um but i guess the main thing i'd say is everyone's trying their best in most cases and it's good to respect and own your emotions and whenever i feel quite hard on myself i always kind of think if there was someone sitting next to me like a mate who was saying what i'm saying or thinking would i be like yeah just carry on doing that i'll be like no mate you need to sort yourself out you need to like look after yourself this isn't fair it's frustrating hearing you like that and there was like there's that iconic quote that like, you'll never let anyone else talk to you the way you talk about yourself when you're being negative yeah so i just wanted to touch on um that idea we were talking about about sort of being vulnerable and being vulnerable with other people especially kind of like you know even just in sort of informal ways with friends and stuff like that because i think that one thing that a lot of queer people experience is that idea of sharing experiences and a lot of you know there will be some things where a lot of queer people have gone through the same style of things or you know had slightly different experiences of the same thing um but I think sometimes it's kind of it's difficult to sort of find yourself in those moments because you kind of feel sort of forced into this homogenous narrative of this is the experience about this issue. So how would you say that you've been able to, as a queer person, kind of maintain your personality and your identity and, you know, just kind of staying true to yourself, I guess? Yeah, really good point. I think when I was younger, I always yearned for a queer a gay community. So kind of like Dorothy trying to find the treasure. So I thought I'll find the gay community. 
And then I'd go to a few gay bars or meetup groups or bar crawls. And then I'm like, oh, I found it and I hate it. Like, I'm not a big drinker usually. I'm career ambitious. I also come from an immigrant family. Like, I want to do well. I want to make money. I want to achieve success. Um, so I like what you said about sometimes it's this one narrative that you have to fit in. And the irony is that queer people have always felt excluded in many cases from like the straight narrative. Um, and then often what they do is say, this is the right way to be gay. And anyone who doesn't su like submit or conform to that is like a bad queer person or a bad gay person. So the first thing I'd say is that I realized very recently there's no such thing as a gay community, but there are gay communities. There are LGBT young professionals who go to interbank, intertech, into law. They go to all the LGBT business conferences and gala dinners. There are LGBT people who like the gym and dating and social lives. They're quite gregarious and they're more focused on that than their careers. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are gay folks who are very moneyed and their way of socializing and identity is going to gay members clubs and whining and dining influential people. And there's no right or wrong, but I would say that as a queer person, you get to choose which community you want to be part of or communities. You can also engage with the mainstream society. After university, I probably focus more on the queer social life. Now I've kind of ready to integrate again. And I have straight mates from university who I'm still in touch with. And it's quite nice because it means that my whole identity isn't just being queer. And the reason I mention that is if you look at most queer literature, movies, news, it can be very negative. It can be about like HIV, AIDS, hate crime, mass shootings, There's which are valid issues and concerns, but there's so much more. And I always get a bit angry that like young queer people at school and university, they're consuming that. <laughs> Whereas loads of elderly gay people or queer people will be like, oh, they should be having a great time. They shouldn't be thinking of themselves as victims or negative. They should own it. So I guess in response to your question, the first thing is, in my opinion, there's no such thing as a gay community or queer community. There are gay communities and it's up to you to find which works well with you. Secondly, I would say it's not only about the queer, straight, cis distinction. In today's world, you can have a good variety of friends, but sometimes I empathise 100%, especially if you didn't have representation growing up. You want to really find your tribal tribes in the queer community. And then a few years later, you might be ready to integrate again with wider society because there is that criticism from some folks being like, why do gay people always go to gay bars? Why do they focus on queer people? But I feel it is a very important development stage personally where you find your tribe, you become confident and then you're ready to integrate wider society. Um, and then thirdly, yeah, see what works well with you. For example, me, I love reading, I love theater. I don't like clubbing too much. I'm quite career focused. And sometimes I feel judged by other gays who are like, why aren't you going to this queer sports club three times a week? And I'm like, mate, I've got a bloody career. <laughs> I'm running a business, which is doing really well. I don't have time to have like a, you know, go into a sports club three, five times a week. But for other people, that is their life. So it's important to kind of realize also the dynamics that all the research shows, one of the reasons queer people feel unhappy, especially in their 20s and 30s, isn't straight people or prejudice. It's often other queer people who they compare themselves to or they're shamed by. So I guess the more knowledge and info you have on that, the better. Yeah, so speaking of your career, I thought we could spend a little time now just talking about Career Accelerator, the current project that you know um, you're working on. And I'm lucky enough to be um, part of that mentorship scheme as well. Um, but I just wondered for the viewers, you could just perhaps elaborate on kind of the origin story of like why it was created, how it was created and kind of, you know, what was it that sort of led you towards coming up with a business like this? Yeah, sure. 
I started Career Accelerator four years ago based on my work as a teacher at a few state schools. I got to work with some really switched on, courteous and kind young people, but a lot of our kids were very working class. A lot of our kids didn't have access to careers, work experience mentoring, and consequently, even though they were bright and hardworking, they were falling behind and missing out on university options and apprenticeship options, which really frustrated me. On the flip side, I did a lot of research over a year, talked to over 100 businesses, and realized that businesses want to give back. They want their employees to be role models. And a lot of employees, they want to support the next generation. They just don't know how to go about it. So I started CA as a way to bridge state schools with top tech firms, which were the driving factor in the modern economy. And the way we did that is we organized workshops, mentoring, and work placements between top corporates and our state school students. A year and a half ago, after Career Accelerator work with 30 schools and 20 corporates, we started doing more work in the LGBT space. We used a similar concept of one-to-one -one mentoring, a focus on bright, talented LGBT young people and LGBT mentors and allies at top corporates. And over the last year, we're now focusing a lot on neurodiverse and disability, helping neurodiverse and disabled young people get relatable role models who are also neurodiverse, disabled, or strong allies at corporates. Put simply, we connect up forward-thinking companies like LinkedIn, Vodafone, Just Eat, Microsoft, Snap, with talented young people from all diverse and underserved communities, whether it's female, BAME, LGBT, working class, neurodiverse, disabled, and we're constantly evolving. And in terms of our numbers, we work with 30 state schools across England, the UK's two largest LGBT career conferences, the Tower Project, which does a lot of good work around neurodiversity and disability, and over 20 corporates. That's great. Um, so I just wanted to ask you what your opinions are on kind of the importance of having those kind of representatives and role models um, in the lives of young people, especially in those kind of like smaller, marginalised, less um, homogenous groups where, you know, perhaps that mainstream sort of representation is not really there. Um, so why would you say that that kind of idea of representation and having role models is so important? few reasons. One, like you mentioned, if there aren't role models in a certain industry or organization, it can make the other person feel, the young person feel like they're limited. Secondly, sometimes it's just easier to build a relationship with someone who has shared lived experiences. So I think loads of our clients I would say 75% of our paying clients and champions in corporates tend to be LGBT. Um, I mean, correct, so just good work, but also they can probably relate and support me on a way, and they're probably more vested in me as an entrepreneur compared to other people from other groups. Um, and thirdly, there are challenges and opportunities in society. And so for example, let's make no mistake, if you come from a certain gender, color, orientation, in some ways, you will have had more opportunities compared to others. So there's no point someone who's very privileged who went to Eton Harris School and then Oxbridge, who's straight and white and middle-class, goes into a state school with a predominantly BAME working class population and say, if you work hard, you can achieve anything because chances are loads of those students wouldn't have had the same opportunities. However, if there is a first generation immigrant who's a person of colour who started off working class and is now in a professional career or has made some money or has just achieved in their kind of own goalpost, comes into a school and says, this is my journey, this is what I've achieved, here's how you can do it. It's a lot more relatable and impactful. In the same way, if a queer person mentors a young person they can explain how they dealt with their experience at school, what they did after school. They can talk about how they leverage the queer identity and the gay advantage in a way that people who aren't queer can't do so. 
And and what would you say that for yourself and for the the professionals that you get to work in these schemes, what is the the motivation behind you know helping young people? What is it that you know inspires you and inspires others to kind of take up that role? Even practice. From a business perspective, we provide them with employee training, employee volunteering, give back opportunities and marketing and branding. For the individual employees, it's a way to give back and be role models and leaders, but for their own community. I got quite lucky with starting the LGBT programme because there's loads of give back programmes that businesses have, but it's nearly always focused on secondary schools. It's usually focused a lot on gender and sometimes social mobility. So here there are loads of LGBT ERGs, so employee resource group, diversity networks and corporates. They want to give back, but no one's basically giving them a platter saying, hey, here's an opportunity where you can give back to young people who were, who were in your situation a few years ago. I then started the LGBT arm and consequently we were able to develop some really good partnerships with those corporates. So in terms of the individual motivation, yes, there is visibility in the organisation. There's some training and there's some leadership development, but also there's the altruistic reason that a lot of people want to give back to their own community. They just need to find a way to do so. Yeah. And in terms of kind of the general kind of corporate attitudes around, you know, DNI and and things like that, why do you think that, you know, something like Career Accelerator is, is needed? Why do you think that still, you know, in 2022, we're in a position where there are still several groups of young people that need um, that additional support and help in order to get to where they want to go? I think if we look at inequality, it's been around for quite a while. So I think looking at the trends, in many cases, things are improving by a few percent each year. So I think as an example, a few years ago, women in IT was around 17%. A year ago, it was 19%. So it is like slowly increasing. Same with queer representation. I'm sure over the next few years, less queer people will go back in the closet during their first job. But the first thing is, let's be rational, let's take a, take a step back. There's been inequality for so long. There's been prejudice and discrimination for so long. It naturally makes sense. Things aren't going to be perfect straight away. Secondly, I think to make system change, corporates are just one part, but there's loads of other parts. There's the part of the government, there's a part of schools, there's, part of, there's a, a role for universities. And consequently, they're trying their best, but they're all very under-resourced organisations in many cases. So I've never once met a school or teacher who doesn't want to help young people, but they can't provide toothbrush cleaning sessions and sex education and their lessons and admin. So I think that often makes it quite challenging because a lot of people are like, I wasn't taught about this in school. I'm like, yeah, that's because schools are very time poor environments. They're trying their best. The government's taking away their funding and they don't necessarily have any additional resources. So in response to why things aren't great at the moment and there are still a lot of inequity, Firstly, it's based on history. It's based on injustice in the past. Secondly, these are multifaceted beasts. You can't just give 100k to a school or even a few million to the education sector because it's just there are so many schools out there. There are so many young people. Whenever I feel a bit daunted by career acceleration just being a startup and a social enterprise and education disadvantage and DNI being such huge topics, I always think there's enough disadvantage and inequality to go around, which means that career accelerator, even if we just work with 30 schools, compared to 300, we're making a difference to those 30 schools and those few hundred students. Um, and I also think it depends on the way we view situations because there are a few books called Better Aims for Nature, Factfulness, et cetera. And they talk about, if you look at some objective measures globally, so that includes girls going to school, 
that includes insights and awareness of climate change, that includes violence. All of those metrics are improving over the years and over the decades. It's just the news tends to report the most negative things. So I'm not in any way denying that bad things don't happen, but depending on what lens we view society, in many ways it is getting better, even though sometimes it's a bit slower than we wanted to. Yeah, and I guess in some ways these kind of experiences are a two-way street. I mean, obviously you um, take up these mentorship roles and, you know, teaching young people these valuable skills, but are there perhaps moments where, you know, you've learned stuff other, either from other um, employees, whether that be partners or whether that be with actually the young people that you've worked with? Yeah, definitely. And that's why, even though I'm quite time poor and busy, I always make sure to mentor a few people just because I learn at least 50% from them than vice versa. Um, every mentee is quite different. So I managed to work with a lot of young people who were quite working class growing up, worked really hard, got into a top university, got a great job. I found that super inspiring. I didn't come from that similar background. So for me, I learned a lot about different challenges, different opportunities. Secondly, it's inspiring working with young people who are already out, who are already quite open, who are keen to get involved as activists. One of my mentees, Celine, she was uh, in the L- she was an LGBT officer at her university. So that means that she was like 19, 20, and she was publicly queer. She was helping the student experience. And I only came out a few years after her. So that was like really remarkable. So I came out in my early third, 20s, and she was already out. And she was already doing activist work. And thirdly, hearing some of the stories and the challenges, like, get me quite frustrated and it just kind of justifies my work. So one of our, one of my mentees was non-binary and they were talking about their concerns about the job application process, the interview for a job they were applying for. And I was like, oh shoot, we need to do more as a society. I can do more for my business clients. So it also kind of puts the fire in my belly as opposed to me sitting at an ivory tower saying this recent report by Stonewall says that X, Y, Z, we should do something, which, which is super useful. <laughs> It's also good to talk to young people on the ground and actually realize this is their experiences, this is their barriers. I want to do more, career accelerator can do more. And based on that, I've actually bought on a youth advisory board of mentees who've done our programs and now consult me and my colleague Rebecca on how can we improve our work, how can we improve our programs, how can we make it more impactful. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I thought finally before we wrap up today, I'd just ask kind of what are some of the things that you envision for the next few years for Career Accelerator, for yourself? Are there other ventures that you want to, you know, consider? Are there things you're already exploring? Just kind of what is what is next for you? And, you know, what is that thought process in terms of the long-term thinking for an entrepreneur like yourself? With Career Accelerator, there's three main pillars. Firstly, building diverse talent pipeline. We want to continue supporting young people starting from the ages of 14 and 15, but we want to help them get into their first university or apprenticeship and their first job. So as opposed to supporting them just when they're in sixth form in year 13 or when they are 21 and they've graduated, we want to help the students who can probably most need the help, especially on our schools program. So we want to basically build a confident, robust talent pipeline, helping kids who are 14 to 15 get their first university apprenticeship and first job and track those stories. Luckily, more of our young people are getting into universities, more of our young people are graduating and getting into top companies, but we want to basically make it more robust and increase the population of our young people who we can track. Secondly, we want to support with thought leadership. 
um, be leaders when it comes to how businesses can work with young people, schools, LGBT young people. And thirdly, we want to be a first of a kind LGBT young professional network and have a first of a kind LGBT mentoring program and do the same thing for the neurodiversity disability community. So have a first of a kind neurodiversity disability professional network and mentoring program. So that's it for Career Accelerator. I probably in three to five years time, I probably want to have a team of five plus people who are working full time who can carry on Career Accelerator because one thing I'm conscious of is I don't want Career Accelerator to be permanently affiliated with me. I don't want it to be seen as like a one person band, but I want it to basically be a sustainable organization which continues growing even after I've stepped down. I'm lucky that I know I'm passionate about education, diversity and inclusion in tech. So whatever I choose to do next will be in those fields. I'm a big fan of lifelong learning. I've already done a business for the last few years. I might be looking to join either uh, a small, fast growing company or a large company, but it'll probably be within education, DNI and tech. And I'm being careful not to plan out too many steps ahead. I know what I'm passionate about. I know I'm keen to get a variety of experiences, but you never know what might happen. And I always say with Career Accelerator, we started off with 10 young people and 10 mentors in our first year. The next year, it was around 30, 40 mentors, 30, 40 mentees. The next year, it was 100 mentors and 100 mentees. And now it's basically UK-wide. We've got a few global mentors and mentees going very well. So I'm trying to enjoy the journey, be grateful, <laughs> going back to our first point, whilst also looking forward to the future. And that just about concludes today's episode. I do hope you've enjoyed listening. I know I've certainly loved this conversation with you today, Maya. So thank you once again so much for joining us. And to you listening, thank you for tuning in and I'll see you next time.